You are listening to Rootbound Mixed Greens Number One. This episode of Rootbound is brought to you by Hoe Cake, Hominy, and Sassafras Tea. Treat your tummy to a delicacy. Mmm, 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 delicious. Hoe Cake, Hominy, and Sassafras Tea. Oh, what a dish this dish is! You may have noticed that the intro to this episode was a little bit different than normal, and that's because this episode is a little bit different than normal. My name is Steve, by the way. Normally, how Rootbound works is I invite a guest to come on and tell me about a plant that means something to them, and then I tell a guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process we all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. But this episode is a little bit different. This episode is called Mixed Greens, number one. It's the first of hopefully a series. And we're going to take a little look back at some of the plants we've talked about before and, and pepper in a few dazzling details that I may have missed when we first talked about the plant or some other fun facts that I have learned along the way or some stories from friends about those plants after they heard the podcast. It's going to be a little bit of a grab bag. A little bit of mixed greens, and that's what's going to happen this episode. But before we get started, just a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, Rootbound now has a newsletter, and I'd be really happy if you signed up for that. If you go to rootboundpodcast.com, scroll to the bottom, you can pop in your email address there. Also, if you like the show, uh, think about giving it a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, and also just maybe tell a friend about it or post about it on social media. I'd be really happy if you shared the show so more people can come and listen and enjoy. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, you can send me a message at the website, rootboundpodcast.com. You can send me an email, rootboundpodcast.gmail.com, or you can follow on Instagram at rootboundpodcast. Now, to get into the show, on the second episode of Rootbound, I talked with my friend Maggie about dandelions, and somehow we didn't cover the floating seeds, which is like a prime feature of dandelions. So I did a little bit of research, and those little seeds are called a pappus or papus or papuses. I'm not quite clear on the pronunciation, but it's P-A-P-P-U-S, and that's what the little seed is called. Now I want you to imagine a single seed from a dandelion and think about it in your mind. It's got the little seed at the bottom, and then there's a little stem, and then there's this little kind of umbrella shape of little fine hairs in a circular pattern. That whole thing is called the pappus. What's interesting is the way that the form of the dandelion pappus helps it take flight. So if you think about that little circular part that has those little fine little feathery hairs, there's actually more air up there than there is dandelion. So it's not like an umbrella that is like solid. It's actually this little, uh, you know, it's got spaces in between all the little hairs. And so one would think that that would make it float less well. Uh, But actually, there's a very interesting thing that happens. And this is really kind of mind blowing. I found this article published in Nature called a separated vortex ring underlies the flight of the dandelion. And some way that I don't quite understand, but there's a cool video of it that I'll put in the show notes. The way the air flows between those little hairs in the pappus and then loops back around causes this vortex to form on top of the dandelion seed, which gives it its power to go great distances. So I thought that was really cool. And that is 
the first bit of mixed greens. I held a dandelion that said the time had come to leave upon the wind not to Hey everybody, this is David Lani, and I'm the guy who does the fake ads here for Rootbound. And Steve asked me to do some, tell some stories about dandelion greens. Because uh, whenever he brings up dandelion greens on the show, I've always got a comment. I was like, I grew up eating dandelion greens. My mom grew up eating dandelion greens. So I thought I'd give you some of my uh, personal history here for Steve and the podcast. And... Um, did some research on, basically, I kind of did some research on myself and my life as far as me and my family's history on these dandelion greens, you know? So uh, basically, it comes from my mom was born in Italy, but grew up in Montreal, Canada, uh, an area specifically called Lachine. And her grandmother would forage. She'd go around fields around that area and forage for dandelions and other stuff. Now, um, and then she'd bring it home, cook it in some eggs. That's usually what you would do, and I'll give a recipe for that later. But basically, that's uh, where that started, was my grandmother, my great-grandmother, excuse me, foraging in Lachine. And now the Italians would call it Cicoria, would be the, the main term that at least people from my area of Italy would call it. And my, my great-grandmother would apparently just call it la herbe, like the herbs, you know, like didn't have like a technical term for it. Now, the Quebecois would call it uh, pissonle. I might be getting the pronunciation of that slightly wrong. I don't speak French. Uh, it literally translates to pee in your bed uh, because of the diuretic qualities of dandelion greens. Uh, so a lot of different terms for these very, very special greens, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad was telling me that, you know, it basically when Italians went to Montreal, a lot of Italians immigrated to Montreal in the fifties and sixties, and they weren't really used to the food that grew there. They couldn't find their stuff like their escarole and their arugula. So they would just forage herbs and forage stuff that seemed similar to those kind of greens. And that's really where dandelion greens came in. Um, so from my specific childhood, my mom would get them actually from a store in Rancho Bernardo, which is the specific suburb of San Diego that I grew up in. So there was a store called Fraser Farms, uh, which is, I guess, kind of like a farm to table before there was farm to table. I think it still exists, but I haven't seen any around here. And the one in Rancho Bernardo is closed to this. I think it's a CVS now. And that's where you would get a lot of the stuff that was harder to find other places, such as dandelion greens. We'd also get rabbit there, quail, stuff that uh, my parents grew up eating in Italy and Montreal, but couldn't get at most normal stores, you know? So that's where she'd get the dandelion greens. But also, it turns out, and I, I didn't remember this, but my grandfather on my dad's side, my nono Lani, Angelo Lani, when he lived with us, he lived with us when I was very, very little. I was like four or five in the mid-80s. And he would go out foraging around Rancho Bernardo, actually specifically the area of Rancho Bernardo I grew up in is called Westwood. Again, anybody knows anybody from Rancho Bernardo grew up in Westwood. Okay. Anyway, so he'd go across the street from the elementary school. There was this hill. My sister and I always called it Devil's Mountain. I don't know if that was like an official term. It's just what we called it. And there were dandelions there and mushrooms, and he would forage dandelions and mushrooms, bring them home. Um, and he was pretty good at it. I mean, we're still all, we're all still alive. And uh, interestingly enough, he moved back to Montreal 
at a certain point, and then um, the mountain burned down. It wasn't really a mountain, like I said, it was more of a hill, but it burned down, then they put up a bunch of apartments. So in that area of Rancho Bernardo, not as many dandelions, but plenty of apartments. Yeah, that's my story on dandelion greens. So it's a, it's a, it's a heck of a thing to eat. I've always enjoyed them growing up. I didn't have a problem eating my greens because basically mom would just mix them up in eggs. And that's more or less how you cook them. A good recipe to cook the dandelion greens is you get yourself some dandelion greens. If you're good at foraging, well done. Good on you. If you're not, you just go to the store, get yourself some greens. Now, my mom says they're bigger and tougher than they used to be. And I can, I can attest to that. I do remember them being a little bit more delicate back in the day. So you take them home and you sort of chop them up a little bit, wash them, you know, before you chop them up, of course, um, wash those greens. Then after you've chopped them up a little bit, if you choose, uh, you can boil them in salt water. So just boil them in a little bit of water, a few minutes, three, four minutes, something like that. Just get them a little tender and also gets rid of some of the bitterness. Then you drain them, you remove all the liquid that you can from them. Then uh, put them in a pan with some oil. You heat up that oil first. You could put a little bit of garlic in there too, and then heat up that those dandelion greens in the pan. Now, uh, my mom used to cook it without the garlic when her father was around, uh, my nono duo, uh, Francesco. He didn't like garlic. Now, this dude was Italian from Italy, did not like garlic. It is what it is, but for most of the rest of us that like garlic, put some garlic in there. Anyway, you cook it up with some garlic. Then uh, once that's kind of sauteed, you mix up like, say, two, three eggs uh, I personally use duck eggs because of allergies, but you, most people just use chicken eggs. You can use whatever egg you really want to, of course. You just mix those up like you're making scrambled eggs. Then you pour that over the sauteed dandelion greens, and then you let that, uh, you either do a little just a scramble, easy scramble, or you do that whole flip over thing with the omelet, you know, whatever you like. Just basically once those eggs look cooked, you got yourself some food. You got yourself some dandelion greens cooked and some eggs right there. Put some salt, some pepper on it, whatever else you like. Serve it with toast, have it with some bacon for breakfast, whatever. It's a good meal. So um, yeah, so I'd say go out and eat them. They're real good. They can be a little bit bitter, but they've got a very complex, um, earthy flavor to them. And I absolutely love them. Just nice, solid, deep, dark greens, which are um, yeah, excellent for health in general. So I'd say if you're into collard greens, if you're into shard, any of that stuff, dandelion greens will be right up your alley. So uh, go out and eat them. On episode nine of Rootbound, where I talked with my friend Raluca about corn, I played this song by Blake Shelton at the end of the show. Laying in on a fence in a car hard hat with a farmer's tan saying, man, look at all that corn. If you didn't remember, this song is called Corn, of course, and uh, it's probably the best song about corn ever written. Uh, anytime now when I drive by a cornfield, I can't help but think, man, look at all that corn. Um, I did say it was the best song about corn ever, well, it might have been usurped recently. If you've spent any time on the internet, you might remember this very cute kid talking about how much he loves corn. It became kind of a viral thing. He said some funny things about corn, including have, have a corn-tastic day. Um, he also said that uh, corn is uh, a lump with knobs, which is, I think, very true. Um, I used a little clip of him in the episode where I was talking about C4 plants. Very cute. Uh, but then... Uh, the group, the Gregory Brothers, who are well known for making uh, auto-tune parodies of popular viral videos, took that kid and made a song which I think now is probably the best song about corn. Sorry, Blake Shelton. Let's hear a little bit of it now. 
about corn? It's corn. So if you remember on the episode where my mom told me about gardenias, she mentioned that the fruit of the gardenia is edible and is often used as tea and that she had bought some gardenia fruit but she forgot to bring it to my house so we didn't get to try it. So I have since picked up that pack of gardenia fruit from my mom's house and I thought I would just give it a try here. So um, I've got this package as you can hear of gardenia fruit. Let's just open it up, give it a, give it a, a little analysis here. Give it a sniff. It's a bit earthier and less fruity than I expected. The little the little fruits, they're like they're kind of reddish. They kind of look like oval rose hips. Um, a little bit hard to explain. I'll post a picture on my social media. Um, but the instructions for making tea here says place one to two grams in a cup of water and boil for seven to ten minutes. So this is not one of those teas that you steep. It's a tea that you uh, boil. So I'm going to pour this, um, see, light the stove here. And then I'm going to pour in some water into this little pot. And I'm going to put, I don't know, just like maybe five or six of these in the water. Uh, let's see here. Okay. All right. Well, let's let this boil for seven to 10 minutes. And uh, I'll come back when it's ready and we can taste it. So the gardenia has been boiling away here for just about 10 minutes and it's about ready to strain them out and try the tea. When I put them in the water, because these fruits have a little bit of a pinkish reddish color, I was expecting the tea to turn a pinkish reddish color, but it's actually more of like a yellow color. I was also maybe expecting a bit more of a gardenia smell, but the smell is quite sharp, perhaps very medicinal smelling, which I guess makes sense because as I recall from the episode where my mom was talking about gardenias, the traditional use in places like China and Korea is often medicinal for arthritis or fevers, but also just enjoying as a tea. Um, I did also forget to mention that this package of gardenia fruit that I have here says it is wild crafted from China. So it is coming from the part of the world where it is more often consumed as a tea. So that's pretty interesting. So let's just uh, turn off the stove here and uh, strain the tea. Here we go through a strainer. And we'll give it a taste here and see see how it is. So, yeah, as I said, the color is, is yellow. Actually, as I poured in the cup, it's, it's a, even a little bit orangish. I'll definitely take a picture of this for social media. Um, Smell-wise, it's not, it doesn't have a strong smell, but let's, let's give it a taste. Yeah, it's not, it's not as fruity as I expected. It's very earthy. I think uh, honey will do it a lot of good. So I'm gonna put a little bit of honey in this and enjoy it. But yes, yeah, so I thought I would try that. Gardenia fruit tea. 
Oh, and, and speaking of my mom, after she heard the episode about milkweed, she told me a little story that she had, a personal story that she has about milkweed. So here it is. So on episode not too long ago, we talked about milkweed, and later my mom said that she had a story about milkweed. So standing out right here with my mom and also my wife, Carla, and mom is going to tell the story about milkweed. I was born and raised in Ventura, California, and we used to watch the monarchs um, when they migrated. They would fly over this freeway and stuff, tons of them, and they were so pretty And because they migrated right through my town. I had cousins that lived up in Santa Maria, California. Went up to visit them once, and they lived, there's a field in the back of their house, and we'd go out there and play around in the field. Mm-hmm. And um, the field had tons of milkweed. I didn't really, I was young, so I didn't really know what that was at the time, but kind of. And I found this big, beautiful green caterpillar on this milkweed plant. And um, so I snipped it off, took it, put it in a jar, put holes in the jar. We drove all the way back to Ventura from Santa Maria, put it on top of my mom's piano, and soon it spun its cocoon. Oh, my gosh. And we watched it spin its cocoon. You know, it was eating the milkweed plant. Spun a cocoon, and then we waited forever and ever and ever. And I thought maybe it was dead. We, you know, Mm -hmm. we decided to go check on it and kind of open it up, maybe get rid of it. When we went in there, it was some... coming out of this cocoon oh my gosh. and it was a monarch butterfly and we let it go and it flew away i oh. raised a monarch butterfly and he chowed down on milkweed in the jar that's awesome great story yeah perfect <laughs> i like to eat juicy steaks juicy fruits I like juicy pork chops and juicy juice But of all the things that I like to eat Well, there's just one thing that's got everything beat I'm talking about whole cake, harmony, and sassafras tea Brings me back to Carolina Hoke cake, harmony, and sassafras tea Nothing could be diviner Treat your tummy to a delicacy Mmm, delicious Hoke cake, harmony, and sassafras tea Oh, what a dish this dish is After I recorded episode 28 about sassafras with Dr. Claire Griffin, I started going online looking for some kind of sound about sassafras that I could put in the episode, and I went to archive.org, which is a place I like to go to search for these kind of sounds, and I found this song that I played in the episode, and you just heard now again, called Hoe Cake, Hominy, and Sassafras Tea by an artist named Bill Darnell. And I thought it was a really great song, and I... uh, was really happy to have found it and put in the episode, and I started sharing it with people I know. And at one point, I wanted to share it with my sister, and instead of going to archive.org, I searched for it on Apple Music. And I found a song called Hoke Comedy and Sassafras Tea, and I pressed play. And to my surprise and joy, it was an entirely different song called Hoke Comedy and Sassafras Tea uh, by a group called The Four Vagabonds. Hoke 
How many is there suppressed tea? A foodle root to scooty with the vitamin B. Okay, how many is there suppressed tea? That's what's cooking for my baby and me. And this song actually predates the Bill Darnell song. So the Bill Darnell uh, hokey comedy and sassafras tea was released in 1949, and the Four Vagabonds version was released in 1946. And I had never heard of the Four Vagabonds before, but apparently they were quite a successful group. And one thing I noticed when I was listening, and if you listen to a little bit of it here, you'll see that the whole song is just guitar and voices. Here, give it a listen. Shoot me the boot from that good old root We're off on a southern fried cake Oat cake, harmony, and sassafras tea And I thought that was really cool and actually reminded me of this other group called the Mills Brothers. And when I was uh, reading about the Four Vagabonds, I saw on their Wikipedia that their early work was inspired by the Mills Brothers. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. The Mills Brothers, if you don't know, were another quartet or quintet that only had guitar and vocals, and they did some really, really cool things, and I've actually become a kind of a fan of their music and listened to it lately. They were recording from the 20s all the way to the 80s. They they were really, really great. And so to close out this segment, let's just hear a little bit of a Mills Brothers song. It has nothing to do with plants, but it is really cool because it's an instrumental track, but it's only using guitar and voices. It's called Caravan. Here's a little clip of that. Okay, I'm back in the kitchen, and forgive all the background noise, I've got the fan going, I've got the dishwasher going, not the best audio scenario, but I wanted to talk about those three foods, hoe cake, hominy, and sassafras tea, and I'm actually preparing them as we speak. So let's first talk about hoe cake. What is hoe cake? Now there's a, there's a lot of definitions, there's a lot of uh, different recipes out there, some more complicated than others, um, some of them have eggs, and some of them have milk, but at its core, and what I think the original hoe cake was, is essentially kind of like a hand-padded corn tortilla cooked in oil. So that's what I'm doing here. I've got some nixtamalized cornmeal, or masa harina as it's known in Spanish, and with a little bit of salt, and I'm just going to cook it in some sunflower oil in these little handmade patties. So let's do that. Put a couple of those in. Um, now, that word hoe cake is interesting because what, what does that actually mean? And if you read online, the first question you get um, seems obvious, but it's probably not true. It's probably just a misinterpretation. Um, if you do read, many sources will say the name comes uh, from uh, specifically enslaved people using a hoe in the field as a cooking implement to cook these over a fire in a camp. That apparently is probably not true, or maybe it has happened, but, but the word actually dates back before any uh, assessment of using a, you know, uh, agriculture device in that, in that way. In fact, there's actually another name for like a cast iron skillet that's kind of like shaped like a pizza peel was called a hoe. And, and that's more likely where the name came from. So um, you know, it's one of those things where when you Google it first, you get this answer and you get that answer over and over again. But I found a really great source, which I'll link in the show notes. 
that you know shows that what is probably the most likely answer, which is based on this archaic name for a cooking implement called a hoe that's made of cast iron. So I'm cooking my hoe cakes here uh, in a cast iron skillet, uh, try to simulate as best as possible. Those are all, I got three of those in the skillet now. Now let's talk about hominy. Uh, a lot of people know what hominy is, not everyone does, but hominy is also corn. This is a very corn-centric meal. Um, also, I talked about corn already once in this episode, you know, it's corn. <laughs> uh, but uh, hominy is nixtamalized corn, so it's the whole corn kernels nixtamalized, so that's processed in some kind of basic solution, and it makes them puff up, and it makes the, the them, as I talked about in the corn episode, it makes them a more complete food and makes them healthier. Now, in the song Ho Cake Hominy and Sassafras Tea, there's no uh, clues into how this hominy is cooked. And so I'm just gonna kind of cook it a little bit like grits with some butter, but the whole kernels here, I just put some butter in the pan. Um, cook it up with some butter, some salt and pepper, and a little bit of chili flakes is, is my plan with the hominy. Interesting fact about hominy, that word hominy uh, actually comes from a Virginian Algonquin word is something like Uskata Homan. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that terribly, but it's, it's always nice to, to hear the like, you know, name for something from this continent stick around in common usage. Most of the time that does not happen. Uh, but in this case, hominy has a roots in a, uh, in a native word, which is pretty cool. So I'm gonna pop the hominy into the skillet here and we'll stir it up and let that cook. And then the last part of that song is sassafras tea. And I talked a little bit about sassafras tea in the episode about sassafras uh, with Dr. Claire Griffin, but I'm actually making some now. And, and there's a bunch of different ways you can make sassafras tea. You can use uh, the leaves, you can use the twigs, you can apparently use the bark. Um, but the most common way is to use the root of sassafras. And that's what I'm doing here. When you're harvesting sassafras, so you wanna be very uh, respectful. You don't want to take too much. Um, and so what I did here is I found this small little cluster of sassafras tea trees uh, that were out, uh, um, out in Virginia, out in some woods somewhere. And sassafras tends to spread by, by root suckers. So where you have one sassafras, there's normally more. And this pretty dense packed group of little, maybe two inch wide sassafras, there was a few little ones coming up that probably would never, you know, get up past the canopy of those bigger ones. And so I pulled one of those and I used the root. It was about four inches long, chopped it up into little pieces, and now it is boiling in boiling water, similar to the gardenia fruit. This is a tea that you need to boil for a significant amount of time, not just steep in hot water. So this is gonna boil for about 10 minutes. And as it does, the smell, you've never smelled sassafras, it's amazing. And the water kind of takes on this like reddish, orangish, rusty color. It looks really beautiful. And when we're done here, uh, I'm gonna have some hoe cake, hominy, and sassafras tea. I want some hoe cake and hominy and sassafras tea. You mean the food or the root to scoot it with the vitamin B. Hoe cake, hominy, and sassafras tea. That's what's cooking for my baby and me. All right, so I'm about to treat my tummy to a delicacy of some hoke comedy and sassafras tea. Now, in the song, there's not a lot of clues for how this was actually prepared. Um, 
and I've done some research and I really can't find anything about this dish of these three things outside of the songs I talked about earlier. So I had to kind of wing it. So as I said, I cooked the hominy with butter, salt, pepper, and some chili flakes. And then the hoe cake is just masa harina, salt, and water cooked in some oil. I added a little bit of my homemade maple syrup. If you listen back to the maple syrup episode, I talked about how I make that. I added a little bit of that on top because they're kind of like pancakes. I thought maybe a little sweetness. I also added a little bit of that maple syrup to my sassafras tea. So let's give it a try. Here's the hominy first. Mmm, 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 delicious. <laughs> they went wrong in that song. And a little bit of a hoe cake. Let's try that as well. Mmm. Oh, with the, with the maple syrup. It's really awesome. I'm, I'm gonna add this to my repertoire. This is great. Take a sip of the sassafras tea with some maple syrup in it as well. Good stuff. I get why people wrote songs about this. And uh, that's the episode. That's the end of Rootbound Mixed Greens number one. Don't want no peach pies, french fries, steamed clams. Don't want no mincemeat, pig's feet, candied jams. All I want to see in front of me is whole cake and harmony. We really didn't have a guest on this special Mixed Greens episode of Rootbound, but I did get additional recordings from my friend David Lonnie, fake ad man here on Rootbound, and my mom, Kendall Pease. Rootbound is hosted by me, Mixed Greens master, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. You know, Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. But if you can go outside, you could get some of that foodily root discuti with the vitamin B. Hoe cake, hominy, and sassafras tea. If you get to Carolina, try hoe cake, hominy, and sassafras tea. Nothing could be diviner. Grimes with Carolina.